American, really. (laughs) So I'm probably going to relate to things that others might answer differently. But a couple of examples that really stand out for me and who I am. One is Starbucks had such a brilliant strategy related to their brand. Welcome to How to Market a University, a special podcast series featuring vignettes of Dr. Teresa Flannery's book, How to Market a University. Terry Flannery has spent her entire career in higher education. She was the first marketing director and chief marketing officer at the University of Maryland, the first vice president of communications at American University, and most recently, the interim vice president for marketing and communication at Stony Brook University. At a time of declining public support, a shrinking pipeline of traditional college-bound students, and a steady rise in tuition and discount rates, higher education leaders have never been under more pressure. How can they ensure steady or growing enrollments while cultivating greater philanthropic support, increasing research funding, and diversifying revenue streams? In How to Market a University, Terry argues that institutions can meet all of these goals by implementing strategic, integrated marketing in ways that are consistent with academic culture and university values. Enrollify and Terry have joined forces to produce Enrollify's first ever master course that mirrors the robust learnings and deep insights packed into Terry's book. Over the next eight weeks, this special podcast series will give you a taste of what you can expect in the master course. But that's it, just a taste. To unpack all of the language, the frameworks, the tools, and the tactics that CMOs or aspiring CMOs will need to learn to lead the work of marketing in higher education, we invite you to register for the master course on how to market a university at enrollify.org forward slash master course. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash master course. This master course features guest experts like Seth O'Dell, Jenny Petty, Jamie Hunt, Ethan Braden, Michael Stoner, Angela Pollock, Binti Harvey, Bob Johnson, and many more. It's also filled with downloadable templates and worksheets to help you retain the course material. And last but certainly not least, this course was made possible by the leading agencies in higher education marketing who all came together to support this effort. We want to thank Simpson Scarborough, MindPower, DD Agency, and Ology, for their incredible guidance and partnership. To learn more about how these firms have helped colleges and universities of all shapes and sizes realize their branding, marketing, enrollment, and advancement goals, hop on over to their respective websites in the show notes below. All right, without further ado, welcome to the How to Market a University podcast series. It's good to see me mess up. Well, we are rolling. I just messed up. And so um, Terry likes to delight in my pain. <laughs> I never see you mess up. So. Uh, that's too kind. You don't see me enough then. But we were, we were going to dive into a conversation about developing brand strategy and expression in higher ed. And, and to kick, kick us off, Terry, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about some of the world's most iconic brands. And when you think about that phrase, right? World's most iconic brands. Who, who comes to mind? <laughs> and what is it about what these brands do that help them stand out as leaders in, in their respective industries? Of course, you know, from your perspective. Yeah, it's an intimidating question because the globe's most iconic brands is a lot of things in a lot of different categories. And I'm an American, really. <laughs> so I'm probably going to relate to things that others might answer differently. But a, a couple of examples that really stand out for me and who I am. One is Starbucks had such a brilliant strategy related to their brand, which is the third, your third place, right? In addition to your home and your workplace, this is a place that you will always feel welcome. You always have the same consistent, warm, comforting, familiar experience where you want to stay and spend time. And they 
delivered on that. Every shop that they opened of the gazillion that they own, right? Now, it's really interesting to think about how that's been totally shaken up by the pandemic because it's, you know, they couldn't offer an in-person experience for so long. They had to think about another way to offer their coffee products to do that. And suddenly it might not be the third place. It could be the second place because yeah. work, we're not going to work anymore in the same way that we used to. So I don't know what all of this experience means for them, but I've always admired their ability to both form and deliver a truly meaningful experience that's perfectly aligned with their customers. Great example. Great example. Cars are easy because they're global brands in a, in a lot of ways. So I think about Volvo and safe luxury being really so perfectly aligned with their customers that seek their cars. They had a strategy to aim for no fatal accidents as a result of a car accident in one of their cars by I think 2021. And wow. I'm not sure where they are in that, but that's a pretty big bet on safe luxury. Subaru is another one that in their love promise, yeah. you know, they have this commitment to social responsibility because they know who their audiences are and they want to make the world a better place. And so they're living their brand by offering to create, you know, contribute some of their profit from every car to one of the mission-driven organizations that their customers align with. So those are three really good examples for me. Yeah, I, w I would say what's good about those examples too is that they've, they, they're long-standing brands, right? Like, and they've been affected by market forces in the way that so many of their competitors have, and yet they've, they've stood the test of time. And I think that a lot of that you know, has been because all, all the ones you mentioned, from my understanding anyways, obsessively listen to what their customers say yeah. almost to a fault yeah. like, and it's like the amount of time and money and energy that they're spending thinking and listening to what people are saying and then not waiting but pivoting or adapting quickly it's i think totally it's been shaped. a key indicator of or key ingredient rather of their respective yeah. successes yeah. i'm watching um, a brand be created from the ground up right now that my brother's developing he's the senior vice president for one of marriott's brands edition hotels with an e and it's a luxury brand designed to uh address younger audiences he'd worked for another brand ritz and that was slanting older and that group is aging as a segment and so they were losing Marriott was losing out to luxury clientele who are younger and so he is in a partnership to develop these hotels they've got 14 hotels now that are completely designed differently from other hotels huh. that are perfectly aware of what you get can get in other experiences you and I have talked about Airbnbs and other kind of share kinds of accommodations but this is something that's so stunning in terms of luxury he's partnered up with Ian Schrager, who's the famous designer of Studio 54. And together they've created these places and experiences that speak so well to their customers. And just because we need to go check out how my brother's doing, I'm going to go see his hotel that's opening <laughs> in Madrid very soon. But really fun to watch it created from the ground up by listening to their customers. Yeah, yeah. So such a great example. And, you know, I think that there's actually... I'm sure that I'm not the first person saying this. I'm sure that I probably read this in your book or somewhere else. But there, there are a, f a fair amount of... There's a lot of symmetry between what 
we offer in higher education in terms of experiences and what the hospitality industry offers in terms of experiences. So I, I, I like that example too, because I actually do think that there's like, there are notes to be taken from ha- from how the hospitality industry yep. has evolved and, and how we might evolve the student experience in higher ed. Yep. Tom Hayes says we're a services industry and we're in the business of entertainment and education and hospitality and food service. And so who uh, wouldn't want to come work here, right? <laughs> we, we've got it all. <laughs> uh, we just can't quite pay you as much, but Hey, maybe that's changing. Um, <laughs> so in, in our last episode, Terry, we talked about the importance of market research as, as this precursor to brand strategy. But once an institution knows who it is and understands what its unique value offer is and, really understands kind of who their unique value is for, how do they begin to kind of communicate all of this in, in you know, in, in a way that makes sense? Like what is the first step after the market research has been solidified? Folks know who they are, what they stand for, what they're doing. What comes next? And then what comes after that? I think that you need to take the insight from data to help you answer the question of what should I do next, right? Priorities come out of that. So whatever it is that you've done in the way of insights from research, it's going to help you understand where do you have the most ground to cover? Which audiences really don't understand who you are well that you need to engage with more? Or whose perceptions are off? At University of Maryland, we had many audiences in the state in the early 2000s that didn't understand what was different about a research university Mm. from other types of educational institutions. And you even had legislators who were responsible for a big chunk of the university's funding that couldn't make a distinction between the mission of the state's flagship university and a community college because they're all educating students who will become productive graduates and taxpaying citizens. That's what legislators thought that all of our jobs were. (laughs) Without any appreciation for that research and scholarship mission and what it meant to the state economically or in terms of contributions for the benefit of um, citizens, not just in the state, but in the world. And so out of that insight comes one, a sense that if you speak of research, then most people here at the expense of teaching. And maybe if you talk about discovery, then you're going to have a whole new inspiring way to talk about the research mission. And two, you have to demonstrate that impact regularly in terms of your communication efforts to get people to start to differentiate. And it worked. It absolutely worked. People's understanding in Maryland, including the funding sources, have a much clearer differentiation between the mission of a research university and other types. I love that example. And I think it just speaks to like, the power of like a word, right? Like, <laughs> like not to boil it down to this, but you thought critically about, all right, well, what if we said discovery instead of research? And then all of a sudden it's like a night and day difference in terms of perception, which is one of the reasons I love branding so much is it's so fun. Get the message across in a way that makes sense to folks in a way that's creative and also really strategic and, and quippy. It's almost like a, you know, I got you, you know, like <laughs> we've always been this, but yeah you didn't really have affinity for this word or this word had these negative connotations, but if we use discovery, right, it's a game changer. Yeah, it is. It's (laughs) the thing that unlocks the secret to some change in perception. I love that Dan Mote, who was the president at the University of Maryland when he arrived, 
said that I told him he couldn't say research university. And he thought that was ridiculous and hilarious. <laughs> but then I showed him the research results and I said, if we talk about it this way, you're going to get more people to come along with you. So yeah. let's think about doing that. Brilliant. Well, another uh, reason why market research is important, I guess. Terry, talk to us about the rubric for the brand platform. So you unpack this in great detail in both your book and also in our master course, but talk to us a little bit about what it is and, and how schools should use it here. Yeah, I think what you're looking for is some kind of short summary document that represents your playbook for your brand strategy. It's a simple summary of all the key elements. And so it's a reminder to everybody constantly. It's a form of discipline really to say, this is what we chose as a strategy and here are the elements that we all need to use to stick with the playbook. So it's got your mission and values. It clearly will have your differentiated value proposition. And there are gonna be some examples that represent proof that you deliver on that value proposition, that there's evidence that you can claim it authentically. And then a lot of times it'll have the character or the personality of the institution because you wouldn't want people who are going to express the brand, whether it's an agency or your internal team or folks across the campus, to express something, for example, in a really formal way hmm. if your community is a more informal one or in a really modern way if tradition and ritual are really important. So there's different elements of personality um, that go into that equation. At Maryland, we hadn't gotten to this point of developing a rubric, but if I were writing it now, I would say that our institution's personality and character had a lot to do with fierce determination hmm. and being constantly underestimated and always overperforming and taking ourselves seriously, but not too seriously and being proud, but not arrogant. Those are all elements of personality that you want to convey to anyone else that's going to say, this is how we're going to represent ourselves to hear that tone when they're thinking about expression. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'd love your thoughts on how accessible this should be within the context of an institution. Cause I imagine, you know, marketing teams put so much time and effort into building these things and designing them perfectly, right. Making it make sense to, to them. But then talk to us a little bit about the work that's important to do to ensure that this is accessible to the other stakeholders that are going to be leveraging, right? These words, these promises, yeah. these colors, you know, these logos, et cetera. There's a tricky balance here because accessibility is really important to people who are going to need to use it to be doing things the best way. I wouldn't wanted to say the right way, but the best way, but it's also proprietary information, right? Mm. You don't want it so widely accessible that your competitor down the street or in the same region can get it and say, okay, this is what they're doing. Yeah. And what can we do to defeat that or address it or whatever? So I would say it's a tool that belongs behind a secure wall of some sort in a digital form and that you're using it to train people at key points and you identify it as something that's proprietary that we don't share more widely, but that you, because of your role, are going to need to use it. So it goes into work that relates to training and equipping people who will use the brand in their work, whether they are new employees that are coming on board to the institution, staff and faculty, or their vendors that you're working with. Those are people that you share this tool and say, clearly your own staff on the creative team would need to have this. This is the base from which we're operating. We're not just about what's the latest trend in design or the latest expression of uh, higher education's value at the institution down the street. This is us. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a, an example or two of like 
brand platforms, these this, you know, playbook of sorts that you think does a particularly good job at striking that that balance between being accessible, but also being consistent. I, you know, it's funny. I've seen a lot of the templates for these with different agencies. They're all different versions of the same thing. And that's fine. You know, whatever fits to convey kind of the final results. Um, I, I'm trying to think of examples of how people use this at other institutions besides the ones that I've been involved in probably my experience there is limited, so I'm not sure, but I think that they are, they would err on the side of keeping it mainly to their own teams, Yeah. maybe yeah. at the expense of sharing it with people who need to know that it could go further than they've sent it is my sense. Yeah. I've heard so many stories of folks, you know, that, that are working in marketing that'll share a screenshot in like a Facebook group or something like that of like, faculty member or you know somebody in, in admissions and admissions counselor going and designing something in yeah. canva and using it as like the yeah. email masthead for this thing that went out and they're like oh my gosh like they've it's almost like they've you know committed a, a cardinal sin of sorts right <laughs> and yet it's like you wonder right like oh is, is that because it wasn't clear to them where to find these resources or how to you know ex access them or was it you know just some rogue player. And, and, and I do think it's really important that, you know, the brands that are doing this well, the organizations that are the institutions that are doing this particularly well, I think have somehow figured out that that magic relationship between yeah. again, control, but also accessibility. And I imagine it's really hard to strike that balance. Yeah. I think you know, beyond the template for the brand platform itself, the tools that help say, and this is how you use it mm. are the things that need to be extended more carefully and why you would want to do that. And if you catch people both at onboarding and um, provide tools at just the right time, like faculty and men, you know, sure, you're going to have some that are be rogue <laughs> and going to do their own thing because they think they can do it better and they don't realize that what we do is actually professional expertise. But hey, I digress. A lot of times people will want to do the right thing if you just give them a tool to use. So mm -hmm. if you come up with two or three slide deck templates in whatever form your institution uses, whether it's PowerPoint or whatever, you can address a whole set of things. You can address accessibility issues so that their content is accessible to everyone that they use it with. You can provide forms of that slide deck that are great for conference presentations. When they're influencing all the other colleagues in their field and you're, make, you're helping them use a tool that's putting the university's name in an appropriate use uh, yeah. and help, helping that register in terms of the institution's reputation, that kind of thing. So a lot of times it's just about making sure that you're giving people tools in the form they need them to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the work involved in the actual development of brand strategy and its expression in higher ed. So who are the folks that should be involved, right? Once the market research is done, right? Once we have a basic sort of like brand platform in place, how do we actually do the brand strategy development? Who are the stakeholders that are involved in that? And what are some, you know, maybe do's and don'ts that you'd recommend along mm -hmm. the way? So I think if you think about people with different expertise or stakes in this process, then you think about clear roles. So the CMO and the internal team or the agency are really leading the development of the process the whole way, not just the research piece, but the development of the strategy and the creative expression. And they've got to, because they are the professionals, they've got to guide the work every step of the way. They have the most professional expertise. There are a group of people who are going to be the deciders, for lack of a better word, the cabinet level, maybe sometimes the academic council, university council, they'll include deans in that, 
are the people who will receive recommendations about what should be done based on people who've been more involved and they decide yay or nay and that's how it should be. Important note, it's not the board in my opinion. Board members are governing authority and brand work is primarily a set of management decisions. So boards should be kept involved, but they're not the deciders. The decision should be made by the institution's leaders who are accountable for its execution. Task force, we've talked about before in another episode of this podcast. A marketing task force that includes the brand's power users are gonna be your most informed and involved aside from your own team or the agency. And they bring in the interests and kind of the views of key stakeholder audiences at the institution. So if they participate by guiding and steering the most significant aspects of this work in brand development, they will have, and they will be your strongest defenders, ambassadors, kind of leaders of the use of this over time. And they are the people who kind of would look at the research results and help to make meaning of what is it that we should be doing. They are the people that will agree to recommend the final brand platform document. They will have gone through all the language in that and wrestled with the hard questions and you'll have answers to them because that group helped wrestled. They recommend the work to the cabinet who are the decision makers. And then there's everybody else, right? <laughs> and that's a lot of everybody else I know. So everyone else on campus should get to follow the journey. And, you know, I say sometimes that if you think about how closely our stakeholder audiences hold their institutions to their identity, it's on their resume, it's on their LinkedIn site, it's on their cars, it's on their babies, it's on their laptops, <laughs> you know, you know, they really hold our institutions close and it's an important part of their own personal identity. So they care about this deeply and we need to respect that. So giving people a role to participate at appropriate points in a reasonable way. Not everybody can decide or have, this is not a process you vote about because they won't have participated in the same level of detail as the task force. But if they get a chance to participate in a survey when you're doing the research, if they get to come to a town hall where the findings are being presented and you ask, how do you make meaning of this question? What would you do with these results? They're following along in the process and they get to provide input. Mm. You're not asking them to approve it, but you're asking them, what would you think about or how would you use this information in ways that get people to follow along? And then when you, we'll talk about it, but when you get to the conversation about what the brand expression and there's another opportunity there to have some really good participatory conversations. Yeah, one, one quick follow-up question there is, do you have an example or a story of a task force or really sort of just the development of the brand strategy that you think, you know, the, these folks nailed it. They nailed it in terms of, obviously, you know, you, you're limited uh, by the institutions that you've worked at, the, the yeah. brand strategies that you've led, but even anecdotally, like, oh my gosh, the way that these people were able to communicate to the board and rally the troops across campus and talk to a number of stakeholders any just quick stories that come to mind of folks who have been able to tackle this well? Yeah, I think you see it in the excitement and the response of communities when something um, is introduced or launched. And I think two presidents I talked to for the book had stories just like that, Zach. Carl Einolf at Indiana Tech and Troy Hammond at North Central University are two presidents who had so involved the community every step of the way at the grassroots level that there was no surprise or ta-da moment. But when they got done, what was developed was really exciting and inspiring to people, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Great examples. So <clears throat> one of the things that can happen throughout sort of the development of brand strategy, and I think that's 
probably happens more often than not in the brand expression stage or, or phase, but schools can fall prey to thinking like they're done. Right. Like we've finished the rebranding, the <laughs> fonts and logos have been picked, right? Yeah. The new website is launched, right? You know, but I think you're a big advocate of this. And I would agree that today, you know, brand needs to be treated as if it's this living kind of breathing <laughs> organism. Cause it's, if it is a reflection of who you are, right, who you are is constantly evolving, right? Depending on where we're at in history, right? Depending on leadership, depending on right. the student body that you're currently attracting, the programs and majors that you're offering, et cetera. So do you have examples of brands within higher education that you believe really understand their role in the marketplace and are really sort of structured to be able to evolve dynamically as the marketplace changes and as consumer preferences change? You know, I don't have a great specific example on this one, Zach, because I think it means being close enough to see internally what sure, they're doing. You sure. see the outcomes. But I, I think, you know, it goes back to that wisdom from Tom Hay Hayes about everything changes. It's always been true that institutions change, even though they, we think they change more slowly than we'd like. And certainly our student populations change in ways that a brand has never done. But if a CMO isn't the leader who's embracing the notion that we constantly have to be tracking not only who our students are, who are, what experience our alumni have had, what forces in the world are changing perceptions yeah. of our institution or the work more broadly, what our competitors are doing. I mean, every day our competitors are making moves that are threats to us. And if we just every 10 years look at that before we do a strategic plan, we're going to miss an awful lot. And so I do think CMOs are in a position to understand that better than most and to be able to constantly build that into their work. Hmm. My, my last question for you today, Terry, is what, if anything, is missing from the conversation around brand strategy and expression in higher ed? How can we kind of close these gaps in understanding and knowledge and or context? One of the things that we talked about in an earlier podcast in this series is the role of marketers beyond promotion. And that's still a pretty big gap in most places. So thinking about how to take the strategy that's been developed and push it into decisions about pricing product and place, for example, that that's where an experience truly does become a reflection of everything um, about the, the institution that's in the minds of our customers. It, it will become the sum total of their experience if we've gone well beyond the promotional piece. So I think that's an area where we really have to push harder. I guess the other thing that's kind of something to be thinking about is the importance of trusted expertise. Hmm. This is not easy work. This is tough stuff. <laughs> and it's getting to the root of very challenging decisions that require leaders and members of the community, honestly, to make tough decisions if you're doing it well. Yeah. Right. And so you have to have people who've been through this process before who bring their expertise to bear on the particular part of the process that you're in. And that has to be valued because so many of us in our daily lives are exposed to so much marketing. Everybody thinks they can do what we do. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, whether that's being a creative person and, you know, you can go to Canva and make a website or, you know, some other aspect of this. No, actually, the expertise is really important and it's worth paying for and it's very valuable yeah yeah so well said well folks who are tuning in if you haven't done so already be sure to head on over to enrollify.org forward slash master course and you can register and enroll in the how to market a university master course featuring terry flannery 
And for those of you who haven't done so already, if you're just finding this episode sort of organically, this episode is episode four of a larger series. So if you scroll down to your show notes, there'll be links to episodes one, two, and three. If you want to catch up, we're recording this series in in a couple of settings here. So if you are missing a little bit of context and you want to go back and learn a little bit more about what brand, how to structure a marketing team, or if you want to learn a little bit more about the importance that market research plays in brand strategy, be sure to check out previous episodes. Terry, thanks so much again for your time and for joining us today. Thanks, Seth.